This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. Matthew 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. So you know something's wrong. When I got up this morning, it was 24 degrees, and I was thinking, hey, that's not too bad. <laughs> and I was looking, it was like 46 or whatever this afternoon. I was like, ah, I'll be in shorts. It's all perspective, isn't it? You know, we're all... 46, yeah, we're all freezing, and now we're like, you, 46. Um, I want to encourage you. Nancy and I will be away this week. Uh, the two of us are just taking a week for ourselves, and I will not be back next Sunday. Bob Kleem is going to be sharing next Sunday on the power or, or the lessons to be found in trial. And Bob has been more, through more than a share of trials. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and uh, his insights are always profound, um, but his experience as a trial lawyer combined with what the Lord has allowed him and Paula and their family to go through, um, I think it's going to be an amazing time. If you know someone whose life um, hasn't gone as planned and is wondering where's God in all this, would you please bring them next week just as a one-off and say, listen to someone who's been there, who's trusted God through it. So I know Bob is mortified that I'm saying this, but tough. So um, I, I know um, God has instilled in this man great gifts, great wisdom. He has my full respect, and um, uh, we will be watching Facebook Live, so give us a shout-out. Um, when I was uh, 16 or 17, the best, worst job I ever had was for half a summer working for the Fairfax Tree Service. Uh, I say the best worst job because it's, it was a crummy it's crummy job. I was you know the lowest of the low men on a totem pole of a really tough job, but it was the best because it made me think, oh, this is why I want to go to college. Um, and um, one of my roles was pack mule, which meant when we couldn't get wheelbarrows or other carrying devices into wherever we were clearing trees out, the the uh, experienced guys they wouldn't let me near a chainsaw. The experienced guys would cut the the logs up, big, big logs. I'm not talking little sticks. And then they would come out and they would say, okay, you know how to do this? To us high school grunts who were the, and, and they'd say, come, come here, do this. So we would do that. And they would begin to stack stuff on us, right? And, and they would say, okay, can you still move? I'm like, yeah, but it's getting heavy. They're like, you can still move, you're fine. So they would just keep stacking up till either we couldn't see anymore or we could barely move. And they say, okay, you can go now and take it. And we were just, you know, I mean, they didn't want to waste any trips, right? Our three bucks an hour or whatever they were paying us, they didn't want to waste the time. And so they would burden us with, I, I remember, I, and I was in good shape by the end of that two months, but it was 
brutal. It was brutal work in the middle of the summer to do this. But I can remember thinking, I can't have anything else on me. I will not be able to do this. And my legs felt like they were buckling. And in, I tell you, but I, I, have, I have more stories in eight weeks of work through that job than any job I've ever had. But when I l- read these words of Jesus, I think about that. When I was growing up as an Episcopalian, we'd hear these words quite often. They were part of the liturgy. And something in that old King James language, come to me all ye who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I don't know if it's all ages now or if it's just as I get older, but the ability to have peace and to rest in a world that does any, wants to do anything but let us rest is quite a challenge. And Jesus calls us to live a different way. Jesus calls his followers to something better. And as we look at Matthew chapter 11, moving through this, it's, it's a mark of his love for us. It's a mark of the kingdom that we would come to him and learn how to rest. But in order to do that, I want to I wanna jump back to the beginning because that's the end of the chapter, the, the verses that Kevin read this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll open to Matthew chapter 11, and I want to look at the very beginning of this chapter because Jesus has given what they call the missions discourse. Last week, we looked at how he calls his followers to live differently. It's a hard call, but a call that means something. It means something eternal. And as he finishes that, he has sent these first followers out to proclaim the kingdom and to do the works of the kingdom. And then Jesus doesn't sit back and, and run the show from the headquarters. It says when, In verse 1, he says, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he had sent them out. He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He continued on doing the, the mission of an itinerant preacher. Verse 2, Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, that is the Messiah, He sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Kind of a funny thought, isn't it? John, who earlier at Jesus' baptism had said, Behold the Lamb of God, who clearly had had a revelation of who Jesus was. All of a sudden, as he hears what? That Jesus is ministering in this way, he's like, now, are you the one? That should make us pause and think a little bit. So did John, was this a moment of doubt? Was, what was going on with John? Don't know for sure. I'm going to give you what I think. You examine the scripture and see what you think. But, but here's what I think. I think that, that he wondered because, remember, John's message was, look, if you will turn to the Lord and repent, the blessing of God will be on you, and he's going to judge those who have left the ways of the Lord, and he's going to separate by the winnowing fork. And he looks at what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom, and I'm, he's not coming against Rome. He's not getting them unburdened from that. I think, for me, I'm guessing, guessing, that John is saying, you're not exactly acting like I think Messiah would have acted. That's not, a, that's not exactly... Uh, 
But he wasn't saying, you're not the one. He said, are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus responds. He sends word back through John's followers. And he says, go and tell John what you hear and see. And then he begins, as we've done through the book of Matthew the whole time, begins to tie himself back to the Old Testament prophecies about what a Messiah would look like. These are all quotes from the book of Isaiah. Plus what Jesus was actually fulfilling in what he was doing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are healed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. All those would have been lines familiar from Isaiah, from the Old Testament. And then he says this again, this phrase that should I think, should catch our, our attention. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Again, I, I read into that that he's, he's a subtle, um, I mean not subtle, but a, a gentle rebuke of John for not seeing and trusting in what the work of the Messiah was. So first takeaway, just first thing I, I, I just want us to look at is this. What do you expect Jesus to look like? What do you expect the work of God to look like in your life? Are you willing to let the real Jesus, the, the Jesus of the Bible, is described the God who is in your life, not the God processed through our presuppositions, our, our Western or God wants us to be comfortable or prosperous. God definitely wants me to be happy and fulfilled. Somehow, through our, our cultural narrative, I think sometimes we like to process, through our political narratives, we like to process. This is what God's like. Can we let God speak for himself? Can we let Jesus speak to us through his word? He's, it's pretty darn clear. He's a lot easier on sinners than sometimes we are. He's a lot harder on self-righteous people than sometimes maybe we are, on my own self-righteous Pharisee that lives inside me. Here was the word as I was, I, I wrote this down. I felt like this was more directly from the Lord. I, I say that cautiously because I, I don't, not, this isn't scripture. But I felt like the Lord said to me, let my word speak offense to you. Because he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by, by me. Let the word speak offense to your flesh and your sin. It's God's word offensive in that way. To really draw you up short and say, hey, maybe I'm not seeing it. Lord, let me see you. The filter's off. There's a, a lesser known Greek myth that... I, I keep in mind, it's the myth of Procrustes. Procrustes was this uh, blacksmith, and he, he had this table, and he was kind of crazy, and he would grab people who were walking along this path in Greece, according to the myth, and he would grab them, and he had this bed, and he'd put them, the people on this bed, and he had made it as a blacksmith to fit exactly, and if the person he grabbed didn't fit the table, then rather than changing the table, he changed the person. It's a little grim. I understand these Greek myths are, but if you were a little short, to fit the table. 
You're a little too tall. To fit the table. May I caution us that we sometimes bring our theology to the scripture and bring our theology to the Lord and we try to make it fit our table. And I don't know, I have theological bents too. And I carry with me, hey, this is the way God operates. And sometimes the scripture and the Lord speak to me and it makes me go, ay, 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 have I put the God of the universe on my table and cut off a leg because I don't like that scripture? Do I stretch it out because, you know, that sounds too much like people I don't like? Can we be cautious to let the Lord be the Lord and to let the scripture speak for itself? Because in that we will find life. Okay. Then he gives us a little parable. Interestingly enough, one of the commentators, this is a freebie. I don't know if this is true at all, but one of the commentators I wrote about this parable which says in verse, if you look at me at verse 16, um, after commending John the Baptist, he subtly rebukes him, and then he commends him. And he says, uh, I'm going to jump back a second. I got ahead of myself. He's, he says to John the Baptist, look, who did you expect to see in the wilderness? A reed, a soft guy? John the Baptist, he's like the greatest person born of women. But then he says, hey, Compared to that, anyone born again in the kingdom of God is greater. But just like he says, you've probably gotten me wrong, don't be offended. You were offended by John the Baptist. And he, after subtly, I think, rebuking him, he, uh, he basically gives him some, some major kudos. And then he says, what will I compare this generation? I'm now Matthew 11, verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and called to their pl- calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Back to the commentator. He says this came from Aesop's fables, which is 500 BC, and that Jesus would have known in Greek culture. And this is a quotation, and he quotes the Aesop fable. Look it up. It's very interesting. I don't know if that's true or not, but I was like, I'd never heard that before. I was like, wow. Not that, I mean, Jesus would have been well-read. Why not? But anyway, what, what does that mean? This generation is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. It's very similarly tied into what I just said, which is John came and he played a dirge. John the Baptist came fasting. He was a man of the wilderness, a man of austerity. And they said, you're, yeah, you're, you're, something's wrong with you. Jesus came eating and drinking and speaking to all the people and hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. And he said, something's wrong with you. He says, look, we can't win either way. He says, you're like children who decide, I want to go dance to my tune. You know, my daughter, um, Laura, if you're watching, I love you. And I, 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 I hope you'll give me permission to share this story. <laughs> My daughter uh, is delighted in being married. I'm teasing. Um, she's not watching. Um, the, um, the, uh, she loved to play wedding when she was a little girl. And um, she, uh, she would usually ask her, her younger brother, uh, Patrick, who's two years younger, to play wedding with her. And um, she said, Patrick, do you want to play wedding? And, um, you know, Patrick would sometimes be really good and say yes, and sometimes he'd say no, and, and her next time was, no, no, you didn't hear my question. Y- you want to play wedding. 
right? It wasn't a question. That was a, that was a, that was a statement, right? You're going, you're going to play, right? Let's just, let's, just, let's just get that out of the way. You're going to play, which he typically did. She was good at that. And he, he, he had to march to, to her drumbeat because as a little child, right, you, you sometimes want others to march to your drumbeat. It's a mark of childishness. There's a thin line between childlikeness, which we all love, the wonder of childlikeness, and childishness that says, I, I got to have my way. And he's rebuking the religious who say, look, you want us to dance to your tune. And we brought a dirge and we brought happy music and you said, neither one. We're, not, we're, not dan- we're dancing to our tune. And again, they wanted John to fit into their mold. They wanted Jesus to fit into their mold. And he won't fit into theirs and he won't fit into yours. He's, he's a God who's going to burst boxes. Then Jesus goes on and he speaks to the people that inhabit these cities. The cities are named Chorizon, Bethsaida, and then Capernaum. These are cities in the Sea of Galilee. These are cities that were primary places where Jesus ministered. This is in verses 20 through 24. And he again says, look, we, I did through the power of God, the works of God in your cities. And what you did is you observed from a distance and you love to, they probably love to comment on it and talk about, hey, have you heard that miracle worker? Have you heard about Jesus? Jesus had this or that. Yeah, he, d- he does this or that right. He does this or that wrong. And he says, woe to you, better for Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't see the kind of miracles you're seeing. And again, I take for that, I'll just, I'll just say for me, is that if I observe from a distance and don't enter into receiving what God has for me and embracing what God has, can I say that for many of us, you have seen God operate in your life, sometimes in undeniable ways. Don't observe from a distance and comment upon it. When I lived in North Carolina, when I was 16, we were part of a puppet ministry. I was part of a puppet ministry and spent that summer down on the Outer Banks. The couple I lived with had a child who'd been miraculously healed of cancer. I mean, miraculously. This was a no-doubter child dying, taken to a faith healer, and the faith healer, I'm not even sure, is legit but the faith of the mom and whatever, God healed this child. For better or worse, you can talk about the other things all you want. Child was dying of cancer, and the doctor said, we don't know what happened, and healed. And the mom was completely converted. She was uh, uh, desperate and, and reaching out to Jesus and was completely converted. And the dad observed it, was grateful, but just said, yeah, that's pretty remarkable, and never entered in. His story is a tragic one. I won't go into the details of it, but you have the choice as you see God operate to run to him and embrace him or to observe and comment. The world is full of, of us who want to give sage advice. You know, The world needs people who will be incarnate, who will enter into the story of others, not comment on it, and enter into the will of God. He condemns these cities, and then we come now to these last verses. 
And I want to point to you, before we get to the labor and heavy laden, and I tie this up and we, we wrap it up and close, I want to look at one other verse of something that helps me to rest. We sang of it this morning. The reason I taught that song, He Will Hold Me Fast, is he says, in verse, beginning at verse 27, All things have been handed over to me, Jesus says, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has opened your eyes. We weren't smart enough to find him. He's opened our eyes. And let's be glad that he wants you and is willing to have us come to him. And he's going to hold you fast when your faith is not always there. And then he closes and he says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you would love to rest? Maybe you sleep, maybe it's hard to sleep at night. Maybe just things in your past, things that have happened a long time ago or recently, maybe right this second. Maybe what you fear might happen in the future with your family or your job or your health. Who knows? But I just know all those. I experience the temptation not to rest. And if I were speaking this, if I were writing it, what I would want to, to give them as a gift, I think, is a week away at the beach that I'm about to take and a, a nice drink in one hand and a, a good book in the other and say, and this I will give you rest. That, to me, sounds restful. You know what doesn't sound restful to me? A yoke. You know what a yoke is, right? It's like a big, stinking, heavy stick across your back, right? You seen a yoke? on top of the oxen? Really, would you say that? Would you say, listen, I'm going to give you a great vacation week of rest. Here's your yoke. Just hop on in. It's going to be great. Sounds like work to me. Why? Why does Jesus say, here's your rest. Here's a yoke. Let me again offer you my take. Take my yoke, not yours, mine. Take my yoke, Jesus says, upon you. That's number one. It's not your yoke. Your yokes are all the things that burden you. It's all the expectations on you by others. It's all the failures. It's all the shame. It's everything you live with that you shouldn't be living with. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's this relational yoke. You're actually learning from Jesus. It's not just a doing. It's not just you're doing stuff. That's a burden. See, this is speaking to the Pharisees. It's speaking to people who had laid heavy weights on others. Got to do this. Got to do that. The ought tos. It kills you. The ought tos of, of religion and life kill you. It says, learn from me. Get in my yoke. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't wear a yoke. I'm not an oxen. I don't plow fields. I don't do that. But let me just give you my analogy. Terrible, I get it. It's not a great analogy, but may maybe you'll get something out of it. I 
find long-distance driving a burden. I don't like to drive long distances. My foot gets tired. My, my other parts of my body get tired. I find it tedious. I try to listen to things. But after an hour or two, I just assume, I just soon fly. That's just, I, I don't really like flying that much. But I don't like driving long distances. It's just wearying to me. Especially wearying, and I love my children, but it was especially wearying when my children, especially if they weren't in great shape. It's just, it's, 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 it's a burden. It's a burden. I'm about to drive seven hours today with my wife. And I guarantee you, it'll be the best seven hours of my week. I love taking long-distance road trips with my wife. And it's not even that we, like, have scintillating conversation. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we just listen to things. But the presence of a relationship that makes me happy takes what was a burden, and I truly look forward to it. I can't wait to get in the yoke. It's a Toyota, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. Jesus Christ offers you a yoke of service, and it's hard, and it's great, and it's light, and it's easy, and it's heavy sometimes. And you have a relationship with somebody who can make what's a burden somehow a joy. And I don't know exactly how he does it, but behold our God who changes all things and who makes all things new. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your call on us to come to you and to find rest for our souls. And for those disciples who first heard that and who were wondering about all the laws, the restrictions, all that was being placed on them by the Pharisees to find rest in relationship, to learn of someone who is gentle and humble must have been like a breath of fresh air. Lord, in our day, for all the voices that would call to us to fear and distress and to despair of hope, in a world that seems foreign and collapsing around us, that we're still called to come to you and to get in your yoke and to live our lives as parents, to live our lives as friends, as workers, as people in a society and a community called to be salt and light. We're called to walk with you and to learn from you. Lord, teach us what this means. Teach us to know you. Teach us not to be like those citizens of those cities that saw your work and then just observed from afar but didn't believe, didn't repent, didn't turn to you. And help us to see the God you are, not the God we somehow wish you were made in our image, but help us to be formed in yours. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.